Today, LCM, is February 6th, 2019, and we hopping straight into it. Jeremiah 33 says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Church tonight, if you're ready, if you're hungry, the Lord is going to show you great and unsearchable things that you did not know, and it's going to change your life. Church, you guys ready to pray? That's, that's not the response I wanted to hear. I said, are you ready to pray? Mighty God, we're asking you tonight. Father, we said there is no one like you. Jesus, you are able to make things that are impossible known to us. So we're asking tonight, Father, we're asking, would you, would you move with your spirit in this room? Lord God, we're asking, would you circumcise our ears? Would you circumcise our hearts? Father, may we find out those great unsearchable things that we do not know, Lord God. We're asking right now, by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony, Jesus, we're asking, would you make known to us your will tonight in the name of Jesus? We have a good word for you guys tonight. We're so fired up. I told Linton, I was like, man, don't hold anything back. Don't hold anything back. Now, as we get into this word, we know that our king is at war. And his subjects, us, the kingdom of priests, we're also at war. When we're at war, we have to know what we're warring with, right? We have to know who our enemy is. Now, you guys are biblical scholars. You know your Bible very well. You don't only preach the word well, you live it out well, and I'm proud of you. And I want to tell you that there's an enemy that we have that we have to study and know his tactics. So what we're going to do tonight is I want you guys to engage with us. We're going to do a character sketch, right? So what's going to look like is like this. If I say this person is 6'3", handsome. From Port Arthur. <laughs> Loves the Lord filled with the Holy Spirit. You say Justin Linton. <laughs> oh. So we have a character within the word of God that I'm going to describe to you guys. And I want you guys to engage us and tell us who it is. Hey, Do we have a deal? Yeah. And I, I'm going to need y'all to talk to us today. I've been sitting down all day. I've been looking at a computer. The computer been looking back at me. I don't want to have that kind of interaction with y'all. I'm going to need y'all to interact with us today, all right? Come on. So this character in the word, just listen for these characteristics for who I'm going to describe to you. This character hates the Holy Spirit. This character only desires to do evil. This character seeks to bring destruction has more in common with the word, with the world, than the kingdom of God. This character is inherently wicked. This character is sinister at its core. You guys tell me who that is. I hear Satan. I hear a flesh. I hear Nabal. The first thing that comes to our mind is we want to put that on somebody else. We know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But when we talk about hates the Holy Spirit, desires to only do evil, seeks to only bring destruction, has more in common with the world than with the kingdom of God and is sinister at its core, I want to tell you guys something. That's not Satan. That's the human flesh. That is the human flesh. The reason why we pray tonight is because we want God to open up our eyes to who the real enemy is. See, the flesh lives within you. This is the inside man. And so tonight, the message is called The Inside Man, subtitle, The Power to Choose. See, in the very same way that we know that Satan has been cast down, tonight we need to shift our thinking. We need to take him from being the number one enemy in our thoughts and put him as number two and put our flesh as number one. Turn to Galatians. Five and say there when you were there. When you arrive at Galatians five, find the sixteenth verse. It says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, 
And you would not gratify the desires of sinful nature, of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. So Paul's writing here, and the first thing he says is, live by the spirit. Why does he have to say live by the spirit? Why does he have to say that? Because we don't, and also we have an alternative that we can live by. He's saying live by the spirit so that you would not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. It goes on to talk about how they're contrary to each other, how they're in conflict with each other, that the flesh battles against the spirit of God. When you're in conflict with something, that means you hate it. See, we're going we're gonna to dive in tonight, and we're going to truly understand what, it, what our sinful nature is like. It hates the spirit of God. You don't have to turn there. In James 4, verse 1, it says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Here again, we see that Galatians and James are there tying into each other. This is, a, this is an unbroken link. It is tying that the spiritual is, is warned against the physical, and the physical is warned against the spiritual. So what causes you to battle within yourself? What causes you to be offended? What causes you to look at a brother and say, uh, I don't know if I would have said that. What causes you to flesh out? What causes you to not be happy? It's your sin for nature. We have to rightly identify who the real enemy is. When James is writing this, he's not, he's not writing about a new revelation. This is something that's not new. This is not something new to the Brit Hadashah. He is referencing the Tanakh. See, in the Old, in the Older Testament, the New Testament is concealed. And in the Newer Testament, the Older Testament is revealed. So where is he pulling this from? Turn to the first book of the Bible in Genesis. It said there when you're there. When we get to Genesis, go to chapter 6. Picking up in verse 5, I want you guys to engage this text with me. It says this. The Lord saw how great Satan's wickedness is. That's not what it says. It says the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth has become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. He knows that the Lord is not worried about the devil at all. What he's concerned about is his creation that he made is filled with wickedness. And know what it does to the heart of God? It fills it with pain. It fills it with pain. Man, have you ever hurt somebody? Yeah? Doesn't it break your heart? Think about this. The king of all creation, holy, righteous, flawless, blameless, the judge of all the earth, breathed into a human being, made him in his, in his image. And now that human being is inherently wicked. Well, it's like raising up a child in the way they should go. And you're, you're, you're praying and said, Lord, may they never depart from it. And you see that the Lord is hurt. He is filled with pain. See, there's a sinister nature in our flesh that we need to address. Church, do y'all feel that weight? Yeah. The weight of the reality of your flesh, of my flesh. You should feel that weight. It's good to feel that weight. So we're going to do something about it. Amen. Now, we're not going to dip off into Hollywood, but I just want to get a, a raise of hands. How many of y'all have seen the movie 300? So like 70, people. 80% of the room. All right, cool. It's not going to fall dead. So in the movie 300, you see a story that looks a lot like Gideon in the Bible. Matter of fact, it, it looks like a corrupted version of, of, of the Judges chapter in the Bible. But you see a small force of 300 men go up against a vast army, and the army has nothing for them. The army cannot stop them. But there's one man. His name was Ephialthes. I'm going to call him Hunchback because that's what he looked like. Yeah. And Ephialthes, he wanted glory. Ephialthes, he, he wanted uh, power and respect, but he wasn't willing to do what it took to get that. 
He wasn't willing to fall in line with his brothers. You know, you know who that is? You know who Ethiopes is in the story? It's your flesh. It's ugly. It's real ugly, ain't it? Church, we have to get this revelation that there's nothing good in our flesh. That there's, there's nothing holy, nothing righteous in our flesh. And the heartbreaking uh, part about that, that story is that they might have won. They would have won. But their flesh knew exactly where to tell the enemy to go to defeat their plan. And such is the same with children of God. The enemy cannot stop you. Bill mentioned earlier that Satan is number two. So, Satan felt like lightning. The apostles rejoiced when Jesus said that. He cannot stop you. But what can stop you is if you don't get a handle on your flesh. In James chapter 1, picking up at verse 14, I'm just going to read it to you guys. It says this. In the NIV, it says, But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after, then after that desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. There's another translation that I, that I really like. It's the complete Jewish Bible. It says this in verse 14. Rather, each person is being tempted whenever he is being dragged off and enticed by the bait of his own desire. Hmm. You mean to tell me that your flesh, your flesh would bait you into sin? Like the, the, to think about what the word actually says about our own flesh, it, it's revolutionary. Yeah. It really is. Our flesh is setting up baits for us. Evil desires, contrary to the spirit of God and his desires to kill you. See, for so long, we've, we've made Satan the scapegoat for everything. We've made it all external. It's all, it's all Satan. Yeah, yeah, we know that, yes, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But does Satan really work alone? Think about it. Does he work alone? He works in accordance with our flesh. See, Satan and our flesh have a relationship like Bonnie and Clyde. What they do is they, they rob you spiritually and then harm everybody else that is around you. See, Satan is the external force, and your flesh is within you. It's the eternal. The sinister nature of the sinister nature of our flesh desires to keep you focused on the external forces, while eternally it works to crush the spirit within you. You know what that looks like? It's like me telling Justin, "Hey, Justin, what's this?" And he looks off to the side, and then I punch him in the face. That's exactly what our flesh does. It makes us focus on the external while it seeks to crush the spirit within you. Proverbs 17, verse 22 says this. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. See, that cheerful heart comes from the spirit of God. And the flesh tries to crush the spirit. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In the NLT says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. You know, when people say, man, we're just all sinners. People, they don't realize how depraved the flesh of mankind can be. And that's the reason God works into us what is good and pleasing in his sight. Man, if you don't get corrected by the Holy Spirit today, man, something is seriously wrong. Because it says in Galatians that your spirit is warned against the flesh and the flesh is warned against the spirit. And if the spirit of God's not correcting you, then what are you living by? What are you living by? See, Satan opposes the plan of God. Your flesh, your sinful nature, that inside man, opposes the spirit of God. There are working together what do they have in common when jesus was accused of being demon possessed he said you know a house divided by itself and it's not going to stand he's he's letting them know like look if, if if i was demon possessed then how how is it that i can do this what our flesh and satan have in common is that they're of the same house they're of the same kingdom they desire to put an end to your life, not only spiritually, but also physically as well. So your flesh is not your friend. So when you have an outburst, it's not an oversight. 
It's not because a person in traffic cuts you off. It's because you have a sinful nature that needs to be put down by the word of God. See, Colossians 3 says this, put to death your earthly nature. Sexual morality, greed, idolatry says put to death. That's, that's not nice. That's not rub it, hug it. That, it says put to death. Church, are you putting to death your, your sinful nature? Are you truly putting it to death? Are you living by the spirit? Are you still, fl- are you still friends with your flesh? See, for me, when the Lord was giving me this revelation in Australia, he spoke this to me through a brother. And as I'm getting this revelation about my own sinful nature, the Lord starts to speak something to me. So I'm going to speak to the men in the room. Imagine right now you had the urge to go to the restroom. And when you went to the back, you saw somebody, another man, who was unidentified. You're like, hey, who are you? What are you doing here? What do you want? And he says to you, I'm going to take one of these kids with me. In that moment, what are you thinking? No, you're not, right? In that moment, you're not, you're not looking to call dial 911. You're looking this man square face to face, eye to eye, and you're realizing there's, there's, this guy is serious. And he is willing to fight you to the death, willing to lose his life so he can take something that does not belong to him. See, that man is your flesh. The spirit, the spirit is going to war against the flesh, and the flesh is going to war against the spirit, and the flesh is, going to, is willing to do whatever it takes to kill you. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to put it down? See, the enemy will try to take your family, your children, your calling. And by enemy, I really mean flesh. And when I was in Australia, the Lord started working the same. I'm like, my God, I can't believe this has been in me this entire time. Yes, I know my flesh is wicked. Yes, I know I need to repent. But you mean to tell me that he directly hates the spirit of God? Something's got to change. Something, something has to change. It has to be cut off. It has to be put to death. Are you willing to put this down? See, when you when you put your flesh down the way it's supposed to be put down, imagine this. You're driving on the highway. There's an object in the road. If, you're, if your windshield is clear, it's not hard for you to get out of the way of that object. But if your windshield is muddy, you can't see what's in front of you. See, your flesh is what muddies your windshield. The enemy sets up the trap. When you put your flesh to death, the things that Satan puts in front of you, you just bypass because you can see it. It's time to put it to death, church. It's time to let the Spirit of God rise in you and put this down. Hey, I know y'all. I'm looking y'all in your eyes. I know y'all. We got some mighty men of God in here. We got some powerful women of God in here. And like, like my brother saying, you're not going to let somebody walk in here and mess with your family. You're not going to let somebody walk in here, walk into your house. And just run, run through the place. You're not going to do that. We're going we gonna to fight till we bleed. If somebody comes to my family, somebody comes to me saying they want something that's mine, that God has given me stewardship over, I'll with it right there. Yeah. But that's not the issue we have. The issue is when that enemy is in you. Yeah. You buddy-buddy with it. You make excuses for it. Mm. Oh, this is just, it's just how I am. That's just how she is. Yeah, that's the enemy running amok in your life. Yeah. And church tonight... We need revelation. Amen. We, we need revelation. We need the kind of revelation that gives us a sober view of ourselves and that changes us forever. Amen. Let's get in the word of God and see what the word of God has said about us. Because what I've come to realize in my short walk in Christianity is that I can't believe my thoughts. I, I can't believe uh, the things that come natural to me. I have to get something from the very throne of God. Amen. I got to get some of that heavenly bread yeah. to tell me who I am. But if you don't know that there's a difference between your flesh and the things that are natural to you and the things that are from the spirit of God. You're walking towards the pit, not knowing it. Turn to first Peter chapter one. Say there when you're there. Church, we need this revelation. I'm not talking about a, a cool, a cool thought. I'm not talking about a, a stone that you make for one week and put down. I'm talking about something that, that gives you your identity in this world and in the world to come. It starts with this. First Peter one, verse 23, it says, for you have been born again. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. 
See, he's, he's given us our inheritance already. He's promised it. He's already called the shot. But you have to fight in this life. You have to, to have to divide what is perishable from what is imperishable in your life right now. And I, I know too many people. And I, I've done it myself. You, you do something and you screw up and then you walk around with your head down because you, you screwed up. And we stay there. You stay in this place of condemnation. That's not where the Lord called you to be. He called you to rightly divide it with the living and enduring word of God. Rightly divide what is perishable versus what, what is imperishable and choose life. Yeah. He, he's, he's not satisfied with you sitting in your shame. He wants you to get up and be a son of God. Yeah. Church, we have to realize the distinction between what is righteous, what is holy and what is true versus what is of the base nature. What comes natural to you? What, what's your first instinct? What you want to do? Only then can we separate from it. We have to get this revelation of what the flesh is. Like you said, I can't fight it if I don't know what it is. You need to, we need to sober up tonight and find out what this is. Your flesh. Somebody say, I got to recognize. I got to recognize. recognize. You better recognize. You better recognize. That you have to see with the flesh what it is. It's not a passive weakness. Man, you're not just weak. Oh, that's just, that's just how I am. I, I was made this way. I was weak. No, your flesh is working against the spirit of God in you. You have to choose not to be weak. It's, it's not a part. It's not something that needs to be cared for. Not something that needs to be nurtured. It needs to be coddled. No, no. We need to do away with it. We need to drive it out by the spirit of God that he's given us. Your flesh is not you. The things that you hate about yourself, that's not who you are. You can choose to live like that. But that's not who God has called you to be. And what he has said is true. God's word is true. Your flesh is not who you are. Your flesh is your opponent. You have to beat back your flesh with the word of God. Your flesh is opposite. Opposite of the spirit of God. Always opposite. Most importantly, it is not a part of the new creation. In the Bible, you hear about Jesus tells a parable. He tells about, talks about a narrow door. Uh, uh, ever narrowing pathway, ever narrowing and uh, increasing in resistance that we have to walk through. And the gate's wide. The gate's wide for those who want to walk in the flesh, those who want to do what they feel. The gate's wide. But if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, the gate is very narrow and your flesh can't fit. Your flesh is like at the Altis with that hunchback. He just can't fit to where the places that you need to go. Now, when I tell that to you, when I say that, Things are coming to mind. Things are coming to mind that you that you do that you don't like. Things are coming to mind that that you knew that you you screwed up on. It may even be something that you're holding on to. No, this, this is just me. This is just who I am. That right there, what you're thinking about right now, cannot enter into the narrow door. It has to be driven out. Amen. Now, your flesh, your flesh is like a tenant that doesn't pay rent. That. that <laughs> We got some homeowners in here. <laughs> Your flesh is like a tenant that doesn't pay rent. It wants to stick around, but it's not willing to pay the cost. Jesus said that you have to crucify your flesh. You have to take up your cross daily. But if you don't see what your flesh is, you won't put it on the cross. You'll carry it with you. You'll carry it into somebody's living room and, and run them up. You'll carry it into your workplace and, and run them up. And you will produce no fruit in the kingdom. We have to rightly divide what our flesh is. So, Somebody say recognize, recognize. And, separate. and separate. Recognize, recognize. And, separate. and separate. We have to be able to recognize what the flesh is and we have to be able to separate it with the word of God. Yeah. It's absolutely necessary. You have to give your flesh the eviction notice. You can, you can no longer live in this house no more. Yeah. It's time for you to go. And the way you do that is with the word of God. Yeah. That's, that's the question though because we want this, right? You want to do this, right? We, we, we want to, to see the kingdom come in our lives first, right? How do we do it? Turn to Psalm 34. A young disciple, a brother, blessed me with this, uh, with this verse uh, this past week. And uh, I, I couldn't get away from it because uh, he, he threw it in my face. The Lord threw that in my face. The, I, I, I came to the mirror of God's word. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, 
What I came to realize was that it's certain things in me that I just don't want there. Uh, it's certain things in me that I know have to change. But it's not, uh, it's a difference between knowing something that has to change, but you also feeling like that's just who you are, and you being broken by that. You, you being torn by that. Like, my God, my God, can, what, what is this? Can you, can you purge this from me? Take this from me. If you don't realize how wicked your flesh is, it's like salt water and fresh water trying to come out the same spring. You want to do what is holy and righteous while being unholy and unrighteous. Those two things don't work. You have to be broken hearted. I have to be broken hearted by my state so that the Lord could enter the situation and show me who I am versus who my flesh is. Think about this. In John 13, John, John 12, turn to John 12, John 12, 46. Think about what this Jesus came into the world to do. He says, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You see, church, if you are broken, if you are broken by your current state, if the darkness has completely wrecked your life and, and shattered over you, if you if you are broken by that. Then the son of David is willing and able to come in and separate the things that are unholy versus the things that are holy. He will show you. He will give you revelation through his word. Jesus will not leave you the same way he found you. I, I heard that growing up in church, you know, oh, you, you come to him as you are. Uh, I'm not ready to go because I'm not ready to go to church yet because uh, I, I haven't changed yet. No, when, when you really have an encounter with Jesus, you can't stay the same. When he shows you the, this revelation of, of your sinful nature, you, you can no longer lay side by side with it. That's adultery. That's prostitution. You have to get up and walk out. You have to run towards holiness and righteousness that God has called us to. When the Lord sheds, uh, an air, sheds light on an area of your life that is dominated by the flesh, we, we need to realize this. Because somebody's going to hear this word and become condemned. Somebody's going to walk out of here with their head held down and that's stopping short. That's opposite of what God wants right now. When the Lord sheds air, uh, light on an area in your life, he's doing that so that he can purge it. Think about this. If God wanted to kill you, you'd be dead already. If he wanted you dead, you wouldn't have even been born. He's showing you this area in your life so that you can get it right. He's showing you this area so that you can go to war with the right things. Instead of going to war with your brothers, instead of going to war with the situation that God has put you in for for cultivation, he's trying to show you what in you needs to die. Church, turn to 2 Corinthians 6. We got to get this. God has called us to live free in Genesis 3. The first, he told men, I've set you free. We're not to be bound to the sinful nature. We're not to be bound to the things that cause death. He has come to set us free. The son of God has come to set us free. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, it says, therefore, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. This is the Lord is saying, he's inviting you. Come out, be separate. Don't be yoked to an unbeliever. But I have an oracle in my flesh that flatters itself too much to see my own sin. I have to have a sober view of of what the flesh is and what the spirit is so that I can get rid of it. He expects us to live a life free of that restriction, free of the restriction of death. You're supposed to live unchained. You're supposed to walk unchained. Your children are supposed to grow up being mighty men, mighty women of God who know the truth, who know their purpose, who aren't bound by this world. But it starts with you. It starts by the foundation you lay. Are you willing to dig down to the root of, of, of your heart issues? We got a project at Uncle Charlie's house. We've been busting up some concrete in the driveway. And uh, Ray not here, but I'm telling you, Ray works like nobody's business. And I'm sitting there. I'm, we, we break up the concrete with a little jackhammer. And I'm sitting there picking at it with a shovel trying to get it away. And Ray is just diving into the, into the soil. And he's getting even some dirt. He's getting down to the dirt. But the stones are coming out. And I'm like, wow, my God, you can get revelation when you're working. We have to drive down past the surface, past just the things that we see as stony. We have to drive down deep 
and uproot it all so that the Lord can plant something that brings life. So that we could be those oaks of righteousness. Yes. Church, you willing to dig today? Yes. Now, it's one thing to say, oh, um, you know, I know I know I struggle with these things. You know, we have cars and I, I struggle with these certain things. But what about those things that you don't see as wicked? What about what about those things that you don't necessarily see as as harmful? See, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to you out of my life. I don't know how to talk to you out of, out of anybody else's life. I'm talking to you out of mind. Uh, the Lord is, is putting me in this place where he's starting to, to stretch me in, in, in new ways. And I'm starting to uh, have to do uh, a lot of different things. And uh, at work, just deadlines are getting piled on, piled on, piled on. They're stretching out uh, the time that the job is supposed to run, but they're getting piled on, piled on. I'm getting more responsibility. I'm, I'm getting things added to my plate, and I'm like, Lord, man, I don't, what, what, how do I do all this? But then I get this, I, I realize that that feeling of uh, being overcome, being overwhelmed, that's normal, right? Yeah. We, we, we all get overwhelmed, right? Yeah. We do. But that doesn't come from God. That's my flesh. That's my flesh telling me that I can't do something that God has ordained me to do. He placed me in this situation. He put me in his place. The flesh is at war in so many ways that you can't even realize, oh, I just got a little, a little fear. Yes, you do. But that's your flesh. And we've heard from our pastors that when something goes wrong, you don't go with it. You, you can choose not to go with the flesh. That's what, it, that's what it's like to be a son of God. I'm unchained to anything in this world. I'm only bound to what God has said and who he is. What about you? What about examples that, 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 that the flesh is, is trying to, to disguise itself as your friend? It's sympathizing with you in your situation. But God is really calling you to, to tear open the cage and to unleash the son of God that you've been called to be. We have those examples. JJ has those examples in his life where he's overcoming. David has those examples in his life where he's overcoming. Amen. But church, that's not just for one believer. That's for all of us. The Lord, the Lord gave this word to all of us. I'm not making excuses for my flesh anymore. I'm not doing that. I'm making a separation with righteous action. How about you? Are you making excuses or are you making a separation? So we got to separate. I'm not complaining anymore. I'm not complaining anymore because I serve a God who is faithful, who does no wrong. And he's put me in this very place to be cultivated, to get what I need. What about you? Are you complaining the, uh, with the place that God has put you in? Are you saying, yes, God, you put me here. You put me here. My flesh is telling me other things, but you put me here. I'm going to come through it. That's what the Lord wants out of us. Amen. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm not, I'm not waiting anymore. I must find out who I am in Christ. And when I find out who I am in Christ, the flesh is put down. I'm walking away from that. Church, are you walking away from your flesh today? Yes. Are you going to be separated from those things that you and you that are working against the spirit of God? Yes. I no longer have to suffer condemnation because I've already condemned my flesh with God. Me and God are on the same team. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buddy buddy with my flesh no more saying, no, God, it's all right. No, God, no. No, that's wicked. What I just did was wicked. What I said was wicked, but you know what? That's not who I am. I'm a mighty victor in Christ. So I'm gonna take off in that direction. Church, you have to join up with God, judging your flesh, and joining God's bombing plan. See, God has a bombing plan. Go, go look that up in the, on, on the, uh, the sermon series. God has a bombing plan. Through the resurrection power, the, the living, the warfare that God has ordained for us to be in with our flesh. He has a bombing plan for, you, for your flesh and for the enemy. But you have to get with God. The Exodus 12. Say there when you were there. Picking up in verse 12, it says this. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now reading this, we know that the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel. The great deliverer of, of Israel has given them his bob and plan. But what is required of his people? 
See, God has given them his word. But what is actually required of the nation of Israel? They have to choose. Could you imagine sitting there trying to capture this story? Could you imagine the first century you're, you're reading this and you're, you're, you're part of Israel and you're hearing Moses speak to you and say, this is what the Lord God Almighty requires that you paint the doorposts of your house with blood and he will pass over you. Could you imagine listening to that and say, well, I think I'll be all right. These people are all right. Could you imagine that? See, they had a power, they had the ability to choose. They had the power to choose. So when your, your flesh is warring against the spirit and your spirit is warring against the flesh, you have the ability to choose righteousness. You have the ability to allow yourself to recognize what's going on and to separate yourself from Egypt, to separate yourself from your flesh. But it's through the blood. When we, when we talk about the blood, it's not just applying the blood to you when you first got born again. It's applying the blood to you again and again and again and again. You know why? Because your flesh is wicked. It's relentless. It comes after you. You have to apply the blood. And you have to say, man, I have the power to choose. Yeah. And I choose righteousness. In the very same way that the nation of Israel had the power to choose and to paint the blood on their doorpost, it brought them out of Egypt. It separated them from wickedness. It separated them from the flesh that enslaved them for so long. We're going to see change broken here tonight. Amen. We're going to see people set free tonight. Whatever's been eating your lunch for years and months, it's going to be put down tonight. You have the power to choose. Say, I have the power, have the power to, choose. to choose. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses is talking to the entire nation. And he says, I set before you life and death. Life and death. You know what he says? Choose life. That's like taking an exam, the SATs, and then the professor comes in and gives you all the answers on the board. And you'd rather struggle with taking the test. He said, I said before you life and death, and I'm telling you to choose life. How often do we find ourselves recognizing what the word of God says, but we still choose death? It's time to choose life, church. It's time to choose life. The word of God is true, and you have the power to choose. See, in the very same way that Moses said it before them, said, this is not too difficult for you. I'm making it plain to you exactly what you need to do. You have to choose life. The flesh counts for nothing. The spirit gives life. Church, what are you going to choose tonight? Life. What are you going to choose tonight? Life. And what is going to be evident of your life that you've chosen? Life. Your deeds. Your fruit. You warring against the flesh and treating it like the scumbag that it is. And picking up righteous deeds and glorify your king's name. Church, look at this. We got to get this down in our, in our hearts. Look at what this God has done. The same God whose spirit hovered over the chaos waters. That same God who hovered over the chaos waters and, and started to create and form life, form the things that, that you see as beautiful, form the people that you love. That same God came down in the first century to enter your darkness, to separate those things in your life that brought death. That same God, he brought a sword. He, he, and he, he didn't give us just any sword. He brought us an a extraordinary sword. Right, Pastor? Church, we have to take this sword that is the word of God and apply it to ourselves. We have to desire to divide what is unholy, what is earthly. So that we can enter into life. Because when Jesus came, he, he came for life. He came to bring us life. But our flesh warred against Jesus. And he died for that, that flesh so that we can have life. Are you going to choose life, church? Genesis 6, that wickedness brought death. In your life, flesh brings death. In Genesis 1, Son of God, the light of the world came down into darkness and separated it. The light that is the word of God will come into your life and separate things. And once he separates them, you are no longer allowed to pick those things back up. You have to leave that in the past. It's no longer who you are. 
I don't care if that's who you've always been. I don't care if that's what your environment has always been. Those things are no longer who you are. You are who the word of God says you are. So we know in John chapter 6, verse 63, it says, The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. And we know that Jesus is the one speaking here. So when we relate Genesis 6 and we see the destruction that was brought by humanity, by the fleshly nature of mankind, and we look at Genesis 1, and Jesus speaking here says the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. We know that our flesh is nothing but darkness and we know that the spirit is life. When we look at Genesis 1 and we have the spirit of God that is hovering over the waters, in that moment, when we're introduced to the very word of God in Genesis Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, it's darkness, it's void, it's tohu and vavohu. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And what does he say? Let there be light. His word penetrated into the darkness and separated light from darkness in the very same way in your life sitting here today. The reason you're born again today is because the word of God penetrated light from darkness. It separated them and it pointed out to you what is righteous. It pointed out to you what is holy. See, when we talk about putting the flesh down, man, we have so many incredible men of God in the Bible to look from. We can look at Moses. We can look at David. We can look at Elijah. We can look at Joshua. But there's one that is above all. There's one that was inserted into this world of darkness. There's one that was inserted as the king that destroys all flesh. And his name is Jesus. And we're going to see how Jesus overcame the flesh. Turn to Hebrews 4 and say there when you were there. Pick it up in verse 15. It says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Say every way. Every way. Just as we are, yet was without sin. Man, just reading that is incredible in itself. It's so easy to read that and just, just glide past it. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, he was without sin. Do you, do you realize what that actually meant, means? Insert yourself into this. Every day I wrestle. Every day I'm warring against the flesh. But it says that he went through the exact same things we go through and did not sin. How supernatural is that? When we talk about supernatural, you know what supernatural is? When your flesh is absolutely dead and you're full with the spirit of God. That's supernatural in itself. And so looking at Jesus, we're going to look at practical examples of how he put down the flesh. Y'all ready? Hey, y'all gonna need to, we, we're gonna need to interact with this scripture. You didn't read it before, you didn't heard it, you got audio Bible, I know. You need to put yourself in this scripture. See what Jesus did. And now see what you must do. See what you must do. Not what you need to do. I got a lot of things I need to do. What must you do? In Matthew 14, John the Baptist has been beheaded. This was Jesus' Jesus' cousin, the, the man that Jesus needed it for righteousness' sake. He's beheaded. And it says that, that Jesus is withdrawn to a solitary place. He's experienced lost. He's hurt. But what does he do when he's hurt? He yields to the spirit of God and he comes across people who are, who are like sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on them. He yielded to the father's desires for the people and was filled with compassion for others. Such so is the same with us, church. When you hurt, when you, when you feel lost and your flesh is telling you that it's okay to seclude, it's okay to, to go and, and, and be alone. But the Lord is calling you to pour out because you know why? He's going to give you what you need. He's faithful. In the midst of, in the midst of the situation, the circumstance that he knows that you're in, he's going to give you what you need when you yield to him. When you put down the flesh and you yield to the spirit of God. What must you do when you feel lost? You got to get filled with the Lord's heart. You got to get filled with his intentions, with his desires. In Luke 4, we know that, excuse me, we know that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights. But in reality, we know that Jesus went into the desert to break his flesh. See, when he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, he chose to eat of the heavenly manna, which is the word of God. What Jesus did was supernatural. I get hungry all the time. 
Sometimes I'm in service thinking about Burger King, and that's not right. But you have Jesus being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, day after day after day after day. And to Satan, this is, man, this, I'm just going to, I'm just going to break him. You know, I've done this in the past before. This is, this is normal. He's, he's, he's nothing. And he has no idea that he is the son of the most high God incarnate walking in the flesh. And he's saying, man, I'm going to beat you at your own game. And so when Jesus is feasting on the manner of the word of God, being tempted, what do you have to do when you're tempted by the flesh? You got to feast on the word. You got to apply the word of God. When you're led into, into, tenta- into, into situations where you're being tested and you're being tempted, you got to get filled with the unchanging word and promise of God. You have to. The word of God gives life. It, it, it will lead you. It would light up your, it's the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. See, outside of the word of God is destruction. Outside of the word of God is nothing good for you. We have to feast on the manner of the word of God like Jesus did. See, if we say that he is our king, then as his subjects, as his kingdom of priests, we have to follow in his footsteps. When he's being tempted by the devil, he's not reciting nursery rhymes. He's reciting the word of God. See, when the devil says, hey, if you're the son of God, you need to turn the stone into bread. He says, no, man. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If the perfect son of God had to use the word of God, saints, we have to use the word of God. The word of God is everything. The word of God is everything. Say that with me. The word of God, it's everything. Come on, church. What are you full of tonight? What are you full of tonight? Are you full of what the world has been saying about you? Are you full of, of, of your own desires? Or are you full of this word? Are you full of these promises of God? Church, I, I, I need to be filled with these promises of God. I need that spirit of God. We can have that tonight. And not just tonight. You can have that every day you choose to go to work on your flesh. You can, as much as you're willing to separate the holy from the unholy, you can have that enduring word of God that is a promise. In Luke 11, and we, we've never had this happen to us. Luke 11, Jesus is being, is being accused of being demon-possessed while casting out demons. Bill Mitchell, he's being accused of being demon-possessed while casting out demons. While healing somebody, they're telling him that he's sick. Now, we've never went to our workplaces and tried to share the word of God and been maligned. You don't deal with that in your families. You don't deal with that in your friends. What about in your flesh? What does your flesh tell you? How does your flesh uh, destroy you? How, did, how does your flesh accuse you? Let's see what Jesus did. He didn't call down curses. He spoke the truth in confidence. He didn't, he didn't respond out of his flesh when accused. It's like, yeah, no, I'm a son of God. This is what the word says. Here you go. Church, when you're slandered, speak the truth in love, seeking only God's approval, not man's. Amen. Speaking only the words that God has given you. Because you know what? Those words bring life. And the same word that, that brought you life, they might just bring your neighbor life. But if you're not willing to put the flesh to death, nobody gets life. Church, we have to take this seriously and apply it to our lives. In Luke 13, Jesus has been threatened by King Herod. Men have been said to him and says, hey, man, you got you to skip town, Jesus. King Herod wants to kill you. When Jesus was threatened by kings of men, what did he do? Those earthly threats displayed his deep conviction. He said, go tell that fox, I'm casting out demons today, tomorrow, the next day, and on the third day, I'm going to reach my goal. I'm not going anywhere. That's third day thinking. We need third day thinking tonight. See, when you're being threatened, when you're being pressed by your own flesh, when you're being pressed by the external forces, the principalities and the powers, and Satan himself, and your eternal forces, your flesh is against you, you have to stand firm on the word. You got to stand firm where God told you to stand. So you can have the entire world against you. You can have your flesh against you. But if the word is telling you where to stand, you should be full of confidence. Amen. Jesus had nothing to worry about. He had nothing to fear. No threat. Nothing could come against him because he had those deep convictions. When the word of God gets in you, it births deep convictions. Do you want deep convictions tonight, church? In Luke 9, Jesus knew 
what he was getting ready to walk into. He, he's setting his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. And he knows what he's heading to. He knows what obedience costs. But what does he do? Facing death, he has unwavering trust in his God. Just like, just like Abraham, who gave up the promised son, but believed that God could bring him back from the dead. Jesus said, Lord, I know this is going to cost me. I know it's going to cost me everything. But I trust you. You're good. You're true. I'm going to do what you said. When facing persecution, when facing loss, when facing sacrifice, we have to choose not to flinch in the face of that sacrifice. We have to choose that God is worthy, that his word is true, and he knows. He's faithful. He's going to deliver you out of what you need. But we have to choose, church. And if, if you don't get anything from, from what we're saying, you, you've heard a lot up to this point. If you don't get anything, you need to understand that you have the power to choose. When he gives you his peace, he doesn't take it back like the world. And he, he, he is peace himself. Nobody can take what God has for you. And nobody can make you do something that you shouldn't be doing. You get to choose. No external forces can, can drive you into the pit. You get to choose to go on the right path. In Luke 22 is our last example. We get to see the king pressed beyond anything I could possibly imagine. From verses 41 through 42, we see his humanity displayed. When Jesus is feeling the, the weight of the world, the sin of the world on his shoulders, we're seeing him choosing what is right. We're seeing him choosing the Father's will. See, when he was beginning to feel that weight, and that weight was so heavy, said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He was perfect in every way. Died for my sin and your sin and the world's sin. And that weight was crushing. But he chose life. He chose what is right. See, he was beat. He was, they beat on him. They spit on him. They did all kinds of things to him, but it was nothing in comparison to the weight of the world that he was feeling right now in this moment. And we have to act and we have to choose just like Jesus. See, when we feel pressed beyond our ability to bear, we have to do what our king did. Yeah. We have to pray. Amen. See, Jesus was a praying master. See, I read through the book of Luke when I was in Australia, man. That dude can pray. <laughs> Jesus prayed so much that it was... It, it just, it blew my mind how much he prayed. That is the key to his ministry. He was constantly in prayer, constantly in the Father's presence. And while he's feeling the weight of the world, guess what he's doing? He's choosing to pray. Yeah. Man, what do you do when you feel the weight of, of sin? What do you do when you feel pressed beyond your ability to bear? What do you do? You got to pray. You have to pray, church. You got to lean on the power of the Ruach HaKodesh and let the Lord come in like a mighty rushing wind with his mighty right arm to save you. Yeah. You have to pray. James 5 talks about the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. See, when we talk about Elijah, these guys are not in different classes than us. We have the same spirit that is in us that is greater than the spirit of the world. We have to do what our king did. We have to pray. As we start to transition into a close, and we start to look at what this means for you, what, what this means for, for me, I was reminded of what happened this past Monday. It was after Foundations. See, the Lord has blessed Linton and I with incredible, godly women. Yeah, yes. And, they are, hey, they are oh, there they are. Hey, hey uh, Jess, do you have anything to say? Do you want to finish, finish up this message? Breathe, just breathe. Okay, breathe. they think so. So we're sitting outside foundations and we're, we're talking to our, our girlfriends. And Linton and I knew that we had to work on this word. And so I look over to Linton, looks over to me. I was like, brother, we got to go work on this word. He's like, yeah, man, you're absolutely right. We need to work on this word. Five minutes passed. We're still standing there. Hey, I looked ben, at Linton again. Ben, we got to go work on this word. Yeah. We, we got to get it. We, gotta, we, we, we gotta have go. to work on the word. We got to work on the word, Linton. We have to work on the word. 15 minutes later, we're still there. 
And you know what the Lord showed me there? That's, 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 that's funny, ain't it? That's real funny. You're not serious until you start moving. You, you're not serious until you start moving. Church, I'm looking out right now and I'm looking at people that I love. And it's a sobering reality that there are things that are trying to crush the people I love. There are things that are trying to sap away and steal your life. But you know what? You got the power to choose. I got the power to choose. I got the power to choose and come and fight for you. You can come to me on, on my day where I need you. You can come and fight with me. We have the power to choose. But if we don't move, if we don't actually take action with what the Lord is showing us, we're not serious. We're sitting around waiting, knowing we need to do something, but we're just standing there and we're not moving. And the whole time, the flesh is gaining ground, and he's gaining ground, and he's gaining ground. Church, we got, we got to check up today. We, we, have to, we have to come to this sobering reality that, one, I am not my flesh. I am a son of God. Yeah. Two, I must be at war with my flesh. Yeah. And three, I have the power to choose. Yeah. I have the power to choose what I'm, I have the power to choose my outlook. I have the power to choose my desires. I have the power to choose what the Lord has given to me. You have to choose. Let's look at what that choice looks like. In Exodus 14, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it. Pick it up in verse 15. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. So the nation of Israel, they've been brought out of Egypt by the blood of the lamb. And they're, they're cheerful, they're joyful, and they're, they're full of life. Now they've reached an impassable obstacle. They're at the Red Sea, and they don't know how they're going to pass it. And God is speaking to Moses, and he's saying, why are you crying out to me? Tell them to move on. Think about this, church. They already applied the blood of the lamb to themselves. They applied it to the doorposts of their, their house, which really is their lives, their person, their families. And it separated them from the flesh. Now we're looking at them being at the Red Sea. They've already chosen righteousness. They've already cho- chosen to be, to be sided with God. But we see Egypt coming back again. After a devastating blow, after 10 plagues, Egypt has the audacity to come after them again. In the very same way where you were born again and God broke those wicked sins off your life. And you, you, you knew that God completely transformed you. You're not the same person. Your flesh is still going to come back. It's still going to have the audacity, but you have the power to choose. And God is speaking to them and says, tell them to move forward. You have to separate yourself. It's not enough just to apply the blood of the lamb. You have to move. You have to choose. You have to go forward and show faith. We got to cut it off. This is how we overcome. This is how you overcome, and this is how I overcome. We do it by choosing what is right. We do it by choosing to move forward and leaving the flesh where it belongs, in Egypt. And whenever Egypt tries to sneak up on you, you keep moving forward in righteousness and you put it down. In 1 Peter 4, it says this, picking up at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, Church, but rather the will of God. Listen to that. That's not who you are. That has died. The, the, the old, the earthly way, the earthly nature has died. You don't live that way no more. Say, I don't live like that no more. That's not who I am no more. Church, you have to choose. We have to choose to walk this out. We have to choose to walk it out, church. We have to choose to have the mind of Christ. We have to choose to arm ourselves with that same attitude. The attitude of Jesus. The attitude of our Messiah. The attitude of our King. You know what his attitude was? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a demonstration of power. We have to be filled with the Spirit of God. We have to be filled to overflow with the Spirit of God. We have to arm ourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had, which is to be filled with His Spirit. You have the power to choose. You have the power to choose. Say that with me. I have the power. I have the power. I have the power. I have the power. I have the power to choose. And we're going to look at seven 
points of what your choices are so to lead you to. The first one, you have the power to choose to fight your flesh like the intruder that does not belong. That comes out of Mark 3.27, about that strong man. See, the, the spirit in you is greater than your flesh. You have the power to bind it up with the word of God. You have the power to bind it up with righteous deeds. You have the power to bind it up with being obedient to the spirit. You need to fight your flesh. You need to choose to fight it like the intruder that it is. Amen. Point number two, you have to choose to act. You have to choose to act in obedience. James one verse, James chapter one, verse 22 talks about not deceiving ourselves by hearing the word of God, but doing what it says. Your flesh is the number one enemy. Between you and God's will. You have the power to act. Point number three. You have the power to choose to live in the light and to be accountable to your brothers. That comes out of John chapter three. Being able to live in the light. Being able to drag your life into the light so it can be seen plainly what you do. You have the power to choose life. You have the power to live in the light. Jesus went into the temple and said... Is there anyone that can accuse me of sin? Do you live your life like that, church? Do you live in the light? I want to live in the light. And you have that power to live, to choose to live in the light. Tell tell you another choice you got. You got the choice to not be a slave to your emotions. Days go, our, our days go up and down. But I'll tell you what, you have the choice to not be chained by that. You have the choice to not show any sympathy. To your emotions. In Deuteronomy uh, 33, uh, when, when the Levites, they went throughout the camp and they, they had no regard for their brother. They had no regard, regard for their, their neighbor who was running amok, walking in the flesh, living in the flesh. They put it down with the word. You have the choice. You, you get to choose to be unyielding for righteousness sake. Not unyielding, not stubborn as an ox. But you get to choose to be unyielding in your pursuit of righteousness. It comes out of, out of Psalm 45, 7. He said, I, I, I love righteousness and I hate wickedness. You get to choose to give away your life. So when, when the world tries to come to you and take what you have, you're saying, hey, <laughs> I already gave it up. You didn't take it, I gave it up. Jesus said, no one takes it from me, I lay it down. And you get to choose to do it all over again. Just, just do it again. Just do it again, Pastor. Hebrews 12, 4 says, you have not yet shed your blood. You have not yet shed your blood in your resistance against sin. We get to choose to do this over and over and over and over. You know why? Because God told us to. As we begin to close, y'all go ahead and stand up on your feet. As we begin to wind down, you've heard a lot. You've heard a lot up here. And it doesn't matter what you've heard. If what you've heard, you don't take and put it into practice. So I'm asking you a question, and I want you to, to be honest in this. Because what the Lord is, is trying to do right now, he's about to set some people free. He's about to set them free from the flesh that's been, been holding on to the leg. And we're about to walk out of here free sons of God. Unchained, unbound. In what ways have you realized Have you not realized that your flesh is getting in the way of God's will? You're saying, Lord, I didn't even know this was here. But it doesn't matter because he's here to separate it right now with his word and with his spirit. But we have to choose, church. Remember this. If you remember nothing else, that you have been separated from your flesh. You've been separated from the earthly nature. You now walk in the supernatural. You're not walking the power and the anointing and the calling of God because he has given you that. Choose, church, to walk in that anointing. Let's put 1 Corinthians 9 on the screen. Rob, would you happen to have it in the CJB? Or Megan? I'll read it. Picking up in verse 24, it says this. In the complete Jewish Bible translation. Don't you know that in a race, all runners compete, but only one wins the prize? So then run to win. Now every athlete 
in training submits himself to strict discipline. And he does it to win a laurel wreath that would soon wither away. But we do it to win a crown that will last forever. Accordingly, I don't run aimlessly, but straight for the finish line. I don't shadow box, but try to make every punch count. I treat my body hard and I make it my slave so that after proclaiming the goodness to others, I myself will not be disqualified. We know that this is the apostle Paul writing this. And he's saying, we don't run like the world runs. We don't fight like the world fights. He says, I don't punch the air aimlessly. I don't punch aimlessly. I don't waste my punches on things that are not worth the kingdom. But I try to make every punch count by dealing, dealing with it rightly. See, what started off in humanity, what started off as being chained to sin, like in Genesis chapter 4, God is speaking to Cain. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you don't, if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to master you. Our flesh desires to master us. And Paul's writing here, after being freed by the blood of the Lamb, as a son of the Most High God, what took him as a slave before in his former life, he is now beaten into submission and he has made it his slave. That's what we have to do tonight, church. From the moment we started preaching to this moment, what does the Lord put at the forefront of your mind? I could care less what you need to do. What are you going to do? So many people, I need to do this. I need to, I don't care about what you need to do. What are you going to do tonight? What must you do? See, I desire to be like the apostle Paul. I desire to be like Jesus. I desire to choose life. I desire to choose what is right. I desire to make sure that when I proclaim the good news to others, I myself am not disqualified. That man on the inside, that man that hates the spirit of God is going to be put down. Church, what side are you going to stand on? See, God's not going to force you and make you choose. You have to choose for yourself. And you know what you have to do. So from the moment I start praying, there's no point looking to your left or your right. I know from the very moment we turn to the first scripture in Jeremiah 33, the Lord's been dealing with you guys in. He's been dealing with me. You know what to do. You have that power to choose. You're a son, you're a daughter of the most high God who is holy and blameless. And he says, come out. Do not be yoked with your sinful nature. Come out of Egypt and watch me display my power in you. Are you going to choose rightly tonight, church? Yes. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for this word. Lord, we're asking that would you sift our hearts now. God, we're asking, would you move through your very ruhak, your very spirit in our midst? Jesus, we say no longer do we want to identify with our sinful nature. No longer do we, do we want to identify with that inside man working against us, working against your plan, opposing your spirit. Father, we say we choose life. We choose your word. We choose to be in right standing with you, Lord God. Father, would you brood over your saints now? Father, would you move in this place? Would you move, Holy Spirit? Father, would you bring life? Would you break chains, Lord God? Would you break chains tonight? Father, would you let chains be left at the altar? Would you let sons and daughters of God stand and be who you've called them to be? Father, we ask that the perishable be destroyed and what is imperishable remain in the name of Jesus.